Myth, episode 863 of The Critical Myth. I am John, your host, and tonight we have... Uh, Edmund from Washington Heights, and uh, I, for one, welcome our new Amazon overlords. Please save every show we like. Uh, this is Gary from Jacksonville. I have a list of some old one guys, old ones too. Could you bring those back while you're at it, please? <laughs> Well, in this case, it helps when the CEO of Amazon is a massive fan of your franchise. So we'll have to see which ones he likes, and we'll have to push on those. But yes, we are back, and we are back with all three of us. So welcome back, Edmund. Oh, good good to be here. Happy I could uh, squeeze you guys in. I've been missing this. Absolutely. And uh, we have uh, quite a bit that we're going to get into. There were some shows that we were kind of holding off on talking about too much until Edmund could join us once again. And, uh, well, we also have a few shows that we've been rewatching. We're, we're in that kind of like post-spring kind of like tail off of certain shows, which is nice. So we have a little bit more room to maneuver. Um, it does mean that we perhaps have a little bit less to talk about than we did when we were uh, at Full Tilt not so long ago. So we'll see how much we uh, get into this uh, episode. If uh, we'll, we'll see if the episodic discussion spills over into the next one. But uh, hey, that's just a, a little bit of a surprise for everyone who's listening. We'll see where we end up. But before we do any of that, um, Edmund, why don't you give a disclaimer? Absolutely. Um, we will talk about uh, whatever we feel like talking about. And uh, if that means shows or books and things, um, it's quite possible that we will spoil you. So uh, if uh, you don't want to hear that, uh, just fast forward through that segment. That's right. And we're going to go ahead and start with, well, um, some movie talk. And there's a movie that came out since last time we discussed. And that movie was The Incredibles 2. You know, that sequel that took only 14 years to come out. Yeah, nothing like following right up on a hit, yeah. Yeah, exactly, which the irony is, and Gary, I see that you saw this one too, is that uh, for those who have seen it, remember, spoilers. So there you go. You did give a warning. Um, For those who did see it, it literally picks up right where the other one left off, and it feels like 14 years never did pass. At least that's how it felt to me. How about you? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. There was no real change in flavor. Of uh, to the um, to the characters, uh, maybe Mr. Incredible looked just a hair more haggard, but that's about it. Other than that, yeah, it, it did feel like you're you're uh, watching them the next day. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, much more enjoyable than I thought it would be. I guess I've been uh, burned by uh, too many Cars uh, follow-ups, and uh, I, my expectations were low, and they shouldn't have been because this um, impressed me in a variety of, of things. Yeah, it definitely was very impressive. I think that it was a pretty solid follow-up to the first one. And not only that, but I liked some of the ways that they played on uh, certain themes from the first one and actually expanded on it and kind of subverted it at the same time. So it really is a companion piece in some of the best ways. Oh, definitely. From um, uh, number one, as I said, the flavor didn't change, so the characters were uh, spot-on exactly as you remembered them uh, with... um, in some ways, not uh, not much more growth, and in other ways, looking to grow, which was uh, still nice after have de- breaking into this world. Especially uh, the kids, um, where uh, was uh, was nice that they gave so much more time to them, and not just Jack Jack. Although that was still a hilarious bit of uh, comedic relief that they threw in with uh, the youngest <laughs> youngest of the family. Um, that was quite good. But um, just in general, it was um, the family dynamic still sort of stuck in there, uh, much better than I thought. Um, the uh, relationships uh, were 
you know, dead intact. Um, I, you know, I, you know, you really feel like they are a married couple, uh, you know, chit-chatting, arguing, giggling, uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff going on. And it, it's, it's really nice to see a, a positive family fair. Uh, so much of it seems dysfunctional in this day and age, at least as it's presented. Every, every family has some sort of crazy problem or, you know, some, some burden that they're living with or something like that. And while they did have this year, they, I don't feel like they wallowed in it. They more ran with it. Yeah, actually, it really felt like what they were doing was just kind of playing out some of the things that are really uh, familiar for those of us that are, you know, uh, looking back on, say, the nostalgia of, you know, 50s and 60s, which, of course, the aesthetic of the of the films uh, plays with as well. And, you know, there were moments where they were very clearly subverting some of those old tropes and some of those things. But it felt like, you know, these problems that they were dealing with were just typical problems with relationships you know uh the power dynamic of you know uh who is the breadwinner uh who's at home with the with the kids um i do think that it it did play just a little bit too much on the whole um hapless father at home with the children trope um that is kind of uh, unfortunately a a a bit of a uh a trend but the the fact of the matter is that um it, it bob is who he is and it kind of made sense for him. Uh, I, I really did like where they took everything. It was a little predictable to figure out who the uh, the villain was uh, in the end, but I think that in a way that's almost not even like a uh, not even a factor because it, it's all the fun that comes around it. There is it's not it doesn't really need to be a mystery who the bad guy is. Um, the other thing that I really liked is the fact that. Um, you know, they did get to do this stuff with Jack-Jack. I know that the one of the big things was that the first movie, they had all these things they wanted to include, and they just couldn't pack it all in. So some of those things carried over into this movie. And, of course, the funny thing is that this movie was pushed up in terms of release date by a year. So they had to kind of scale what they could do to meeting that new date. So there are actually things that they wanted to do in this film that never made it into it. So I, I think that means they're planting the seeds, perhaps uh, unintentionally or intentionally, for The Incredibles 3, which I guess I'll be uh, in my 60s by the time that comes out. But <laughs> well, that being yeah. well, that being said, it it uh, made a tremendous opening. Um, it was huge, so I have no doubt that um, we will definitely get it in Incredibles three. And it, given the rate that Disney, unlike Pixar, likes to pump movies out, uh, it won't surprise me if it's um, much quicker than fourteen years. So. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Certainly, that opening was a big uh, pressure point in terms of pushing them to maybe throw some money at Brad Bird. So. Well, don't forget, you do have that big shakeup in Pixar from Lasseter uh, exiting. Uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. So, so it might not. You know, things might change a little bit more than you think. I think in Pixar as a result. It could. I mean, I know that Pixar's kind of uh, unspoken rule is that any any um, quote unquote franchise needs to be um, shepherded by the one who created it. So it, it's kind of. Uh, but then again, we've got Toy Story Story Four coming, <laughs> and yeah, you never know. Disney can uh, have a bit of an influence sometimes. All right, so yeah, I think that's two big, big. Well, I'll say four big thumbs up for The Incredibles too. Definitely one of my highlights of this uh, this year so far. Um, certainly, I think that it uh, met my expectations, and not all, all sequels have done that. So <laughs> there you go. Oh, it exceeded mine. Yeah, they did a, a great job. I enjoyed the. Uh the villain was a little less physical this time around, all things said and done, and that was a, a nice change. I enjoyed the shift of focus, prim- being I felt primarily on uh, Mr. Incredible to shift to other members of the family, uh, especially now that we were more comfortable and know them well enough. So I, you know, I thought they did a uh, great job. 
All right, as far as movies go, uh, Gary, I don't know if you had a chance to see any other movies. Um, Solo? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I didn't think so. Uh, Edmund, how about you? Any uh, films you've seen in, in recent weeks? Uh, yeah, well, uh, like Gary, uh, I'm afraid I'm one of those people who hasn't gone to see Solo yet, so uh, helping its uh, box office, which hasn't been as good as people were expecting. <laughs> but you, you're the one. You're yes, yes, we're, we're the problem, Gary. Uh, but uh, Incredible 2 is definitely on my list as well. Uh, but the one I did want to mention, um, which uh, for me was a, an extraordinary, extraordinarily fun throwback and nostalgia trip, was uh, being here in New York. It is, of course, one of the places where they are showing the what they are calling the unreal restored version of 2001 and even though I've seen it so many times now um, I did actually see it uh, on its original run in the uh, the big 70 millimeter cinema in Leicester Square and then actually saw it in the same theater um, in its uh, re-release in the late 70s I think it was around 78 or so so uh, this of course was the this is uh, Christopher Nolan has gone gone in went in um, discovered that there was still an, an original negative of 2001 uh, you know in the film vault um, and over at Warner brothers and uh had them make a pristine uh you know basically unretouched unremastered uh prints of the 70 millimeter the original 70 millimeter film stock um and is presenting them throughout the country um unfortunately as this goes out i think most of the screenings are kind of winding down i think this is actually the last week for it uh here in uh, here in new york um but uh if uh you do have an opportunity to see it i absolutely recommend it because it, it is a a, a um, it's a a wonderful film of course uh uh, you know, very, very, you know, extremely unique. Yes, I know some people call it slow. Um, I find it fascinating, um, and uh, seeing it. And this is, you know, you know, this is probably the, the last chance you will ever have to see it in its original cinematic uh, theatrical glory. Wow. Yeah, that's something to take into mm. account and perhaps try to catch if you can. All right. Uh, moving over to some other TV than the ones we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, Gary, it seems like you've been continuing your uh, Fringe rewatch. Oh, heck yeah. I, I sure have. I'm um, at the tail edge. I'm, uh, I'm just going into the last episode of season three. And, okay. Oh, my gosh. We got Olivia, faux Olivia. Uh, we got the love triangle uh, with uh, or the uh, maybe not a triangle. Uh, but, you know, we have the, you know, the Peter Olivia off on off again, back on again. Wait a minute. Hold on. Mucky wrench. Uh, faux Olivia was pregnant with Peter's baby. And then Oh, well, well, you know, we're going to have a while for that. No, no, he didn't. Darn that Walter. He got, he sped up the, the, uh, the pregnancy and she had, had Peter's baby in, well, I guess hers too, in like three weeks. Wow. <laughs> what the heck's going on? Wait a minute. We're not done. What's the, the machine? There's two of them. Wait, I thought there was just one. No, there's two. And they're both working against each other, destroying both universes. But wait a minute. Um, hold on. Something's going on here. Who's this guy? Wait a minute. Oh, wait, he's the fifth guy that wrote the book, not the third guy or the second guy. And it's some... I don't know, generational thing. That's kind of cool, too. And um, what did I leave off again? Walter. Walter seems to be much more focused and coherent. Did that shot from early season three that wasn't the monkey's DNA start working? Maybe. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I almost forgot. We got to see uh, William Bell. Wait. But uh, not really, because he was in Olivia's body. And um, Anna, <laughs> Anna did such a good job of emulating uh, Leonard Nimoy. It was, uh, it was hilarious and a joy to watch. And then if that wasn't enough, no, we did get to see him. Oh, no, wait, no, we didn't, because it was all a cartoon, because they were in Olivia's brain, and it was all, oh, my goodness, what a fun third season. I'm, I'm getting to the, 
what I can sense it will be some sort of large cliffhanger. And then we roll into season four, and I think I started watching at like the second third of season four. So I'm, I think I'm getting close to where I was at, and I'm still curious of how I know that the two worlds start working together, and I'm not sure how they're going to get there, but I can't wait to see it. <laughs> so yeah, so season three was just a little, little enjoyable. Yeah, I, I think season three is my favorite, and uh, and and hearing you mention all that, it it, it still just ticks me off that uh, genre shows do not get any recognition because there is no way Anna Torv and John Noble should not have been getting not nominated for acting Emmys. For- well, you know, you know, I you know I repeatedly, and you you said it more than one time, which is fine, but I repeatedly you know heard you say that, and you know I sort of say, oh, you know, oh, okay, you know, she did a you know a reasonable job, but as I'm watching this series that that thought of yours that's, you know, that she deserved more you know, reverberates in my head again and again. And I'm like, Oh, it's like, you are absolutely right. It is, you know, she has uh, done such a range as an actress that uh, she really did deserve. She certainly did deserve it. Not that I was discrediting what you're saying more than emphasizing. It. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but, no. but Oh yeah. Uh, incredible. Yeah. Bringing back memories, Gary, just bringing back great memories. I remember, you know, the first season was a little bit rough for some people. Um, there was a tonal shift after the initial 13 episodes that had been made and they had the, you know, the back nine that they got and then they kind of made some retooling for that. And then the second season had a little bit of uh, retooling after the first uh, few episodes and so on. The season three, like, uh, like Edmund, you said, was when they were hitting their stride. And I think that, you know, uh, season three and four kind of are a part and, 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 and a piece together respects but season three was when they really just hit into high gear um definitely i feel like there was kind of a um a a, uh, babylon 5-esque feel to the the uh to the rise and the the uh the the rhythm of the series and uh this is why fringe continues to be one of my favorites and i i gotta say gary you're almost you've almost got me to the point of of starting my own rewatch but mm-hmm. i've got other things i'm on to rewatch with and i'm way behind on something so eventually eventually but but yeah so yeah it's been a, a thrilling rewatch and i'd have to say given the way that it's sort of set up it does not feel dated at all I, uh, other than perhaps um uh, uh some flip cell phones um, it's, it still stands very well and could very well be considered a contemporary piece. Uh, some of these shows do really start to feel as, uh, dated, but, um, honestly, I guess in some ways our society hasn't changed significantly since the nineties. And, um, a lot of the stuff, you know, uh, just, you know, seems to, you know, flow quite well. So, um, yeah, it does real, that doesn't feel like, oh gosh, I can't believe they're talking about that or the, this or the other thing. Oh, wait, I forgot to mention, not only, uh, just a little side bit. You know, we're really getting three shows in one year because first we're getting like regular fringe our, our world, I guess you want to say. Then you're getting the you're getting shows with the alternate fringe, mm-hmm. and then every once in a while they're throwing in one of those 1985 fringes. So it's like you get to watch three different shows within the season. Yep. So yep. It, yeah, I was like, oh well, you got like show A, show B, and show three <laughs> because it, it feels that different. But um. <laughs> Uh, you know, especially the 85 show. I love when they start talking about, you know, the uh, credits when they roll from 85. It's like in vitro fertilization, uh, cloning. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, every, everything that they run by pretty much is actually, you know, real now. So I, you know, I, I love that little aspect of it. And the, yeah. uh, I, I imagine the creators enjoyed um, and you, I can tell they enjoy doing those 1985 uh, flashback episodes. So, and they're so, oh, so heartbreaking with Peter and his, uh, his, you know, I guess the, his faux mother, um, you know, and, uh, you know, he's like, I'm not from here. And then he's like, tries to go through the ice. Oh, it's just heartbreaking. That whole sort of him having to accept where he's at and stuff like that. Uh, but I can definitely see why he, uh, bailed when he was older as a result of that. And that, that episode really helped. Him. 
uh, enlightenment. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Um, a completely different kind of uh, nostalgia. Um, I've been watching, and I actually wound up binge-watching. Um, this came out a few years ago in Japan, and I guess it, it was uh, finally available recently on Funimation, but Star Blazers 2199. Um, it's the kind of episodic version of the remake retelling of the first season of the original space battleship Yamato. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, to say the least, to see, like, all the similarities, yet some of the divergences, some of the ways that they streamlined the storytelling, and then added in some other things that were perhaps from the original version versus the Americanized version that we all remember as Star Blazers. But, man, is it clear that Japan has a lot of nostalgia for this, too, because the pomp and circumstance on the scoring of this thing... <laughs> is amazing um they literally make it sound like it is the most important thing that has ever hit television um in fact actually it didn't start on television these remakes were actually done as um, a series of films in japan and there's actually a follow-up that is, uh, is based on what would eventually be here the comet empire season the second season of Star Blazers that is uh, actually starting to become available as well. So it's been a lot of fun to go and watch this remake. Um, it, it, it kind of hits all the same notes. It hits even some of them better. Um, and in some cases, you definitely get the feel of, uh, of just how um, beloved that series was. So it's a lot of fun. I don't know if any of you have uh, even knew that there was a reboot or a remake of Star Blazers out there, but yep, there is, and it's fun. No, I didn't. Yep. So it's on the Funimation, uh, not Crunchyroll, but Funimation. So go ahead and find it out there, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about you, Edmund? Any other TV you've been watching that's not on our list? Um, well, it's uh, yeah, not on our list, and I noticed stuff that's not really in, in the, the wheelhouse of this show, but uh, I know I had mentioned uh, finally watching Deadwood uh, last year, the year, the year before, um, and trying to follow on from that, I finally landed on Justified, uh, which was, of course, the show on FX that Timothy Oliphant uh, went on to do, where instead of being a Wild West sheriff, he was a uh, reckless U.S. Marshal in, uh, in contemporary Kentucky, uh, but uh, re 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 really hits a lot, a lot of the uh, sim similar notes to Deadwood, certainly, in terms of uh, the, the backcountry haulers and uh, redneck uh, villains that he's going up against. Um, and uh, they also uh, seem to, seem to you know, people have said that they, that they and Sons of Anarchy seem to be in a race to see how many uh, Deadwood, Deadwood alumni they could uh, throw into their cast. So <laughs> there was definitely that sense of, uh, of uh, re revisiting bits, bits and pieces of Deadwood. And uh, thanks to... Uh, I was watching it on Amazon Prime. Yes, hello, Mr. Bezos. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, when you come up with these suggestions, that the, you know, I was all done with the series and, uh, and uh, did, did really enjoy it. Um, it really amuses me that uh, this is one of those shows where there was a classic case of uh, not going with the plot point that they wanted to make, which was having uh, Walton Goggins, who was in the pilot, as uh, sort of his nemesis, who was supposed to be killed in the pilot, and uh, the chemistry between him and Timothy Oliphant was so good that uh, they not only kept him around, but uh, basically uh, made him the, uh, the the big bad that uh, Timothy Oliphant is going up against throughout the entire series. <laughs> um, and uh, it does come to a, a very satisfying conclusion. Um, and then Amazon Prime suggested, uh, once I was done with Justified, that uh, maybe I'd want to watch Deadwood. And I saw that, and I said, uh, well, you know what? It's been long enough. And uh, so I'm now about two-thirds of the way through season one of Deadwood again, and as I expected, uh, just like with Babylon 5 or a great novel, once you're watching it again, uh, knowing where things are going to go, it's uh, just even more fun the second time around. 
Absolutely. I, I remember watching uh, Deadwood. And I know that uh, Bronze Thumb, our old friend who has uh, since uh, retired, so to speak, um, yes. was a huge fan of Justified. So uh, definitely not, not necessarily out of our wheelhouse, just a little bit adjacent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, and I apologize if there's any kind of weirdness on this show or in this episode, because we are actually encountering some very strong thunderstorms here. So uh, we'll hope that things kind of don't go kaboom. So, um, or like, have problems because my Wi-Fi is all over the place. Anyway, let's just keep going. Um, so reading material, uh, for me, I have been mostly um, uh, staying caught up with um, the recent comic book uh, releases and so forth. But I did manage to, since uh, I wanted to celebrate the Expanse being saved by Amazon uh, just a little bit, I did read the novellas that were at least up to the point that I have read in the series, up to mm-hmm. book four. So I did read through The Vital Abyss, which was a nice, interesting take on some of the backstory of the protomolecule uh, project, so to speak. Um, I usually don't like first-person narratives, but this one actually worked really well for me. Uh, and then I moved on to Arrow Fatal Legacies, which is actually billed on the cover as Season 5.5. So it's supposed to be the story between when uh, Prometheus blows up uh, Lian Yu and then where things start in Season 6. And I'm not as happy with that as I thought that I would be. Um, it actually told a fairly standard storyline that just happens to take place over that time period and kind of glosses over some of the things that you would think they would have discussed um, considering that they literally pick up right after the island explodes. Mm. <laughs> so um, you'd think that they would tell the story of how people survived and kind of all of that, and no, they don't. They just skip right over that, and it's kind of disappointing. Um, Gary, how about you? Have you been reading anything lately? Um, yeah, but more, uh, I guess it's off-topic for us. I read a whole book about the uh, inter- the creation and the um, building of um, the Skunk Works comp- uh, subsidiary of Lockheed. Oh, yeah. started, started off building uh, um, some early bombers into the U-2, into the SR-71 Blackbird, into the F-117A uh, stealth fighter. And it's, uh, it was a whole bunch of uh, history uh, growing of uh, uh, Kelly Johnson starting the company. And um, the book finished up right about in the 90s, uh, at least for this particular book. Then I've also been reading this really uh, story fascinated me and it's one of the first times I'd say something off Facebook quite grabbed me to this level. It was a story about this uh, plane at the beginning of World War II that was uh, uh, one of the Pan Am uh, flying boats that were was landing in Auckland, New Zealand on December 7th, 1941 and um, they got orders to return to the United States as soon as possible because their planes at the time were one of the longest distance flying planes that existed. They were only, they were told that they weren't allowed to go back east because of possible bases being overrun or Japanese uh, attack. So they had to go west. West takes you over Australia, India, mm-hmm. the Middle East, Africa, uh, across the Atlantic to Brazil, and then all the way up to uh, where they had to, where they were to order to, which was uh, basically LaGuardia Airport. And, um, it was, you know, it was a fascinating story because there wasn't a lot of support, and um, it took them uh, nearly six weeks to get back. And it was, uh, it was, it's quite a very heroic tale. Although, as is common tradition for most of the pe- people who lived through the World War II era, they really didn't feel they did anything much more than their job. Maybe a little bit extra, but you know, nothing that that amazing. Even though they became really the first plane to circumnavigate the globe <laughs> in the process, so it was a. Uh, 
It was uh, it's uh, really fun. I'm actually I've read I'm reading a, a second book on it right now. I finished the first book by the actual uh, captain of the plane, and now I'm fi- reading a book by the uh, second officer. And so it's very interesting when you read more than one historical account because you know it's you get like a different angle and a different gist on how everything happened and how it laid out and the people's feelings about what was going on. So it's really interesting. I'd love to see actually a third perspective to really feel it. But uh, as far as I know, the, the two books I have are the only uh, uh, firsthand accounts that exist. So it, it's fun. I'm, I've always been a bit of a historian. So reading uh, firsthand accounts of um, historical events is uh, very fascinating to me. And especially when you can read two different accounts of the same events, it just gives you such a depth and understanding and much more of a feeling of what was going on than just seeing it from one point of view. So it's, it was uh, quite enjoyable. Um, while I was uh, on vacation, I was uh, burning through the books and I almost finished that one as well. So I almost finished three books on vacation. Oh. Time well spent. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How about you, Edmund? Any recent reading material? Um, well, I, well, of course, since I haven't been on in a while, I mean, I will will mention that uh, on on the Expanse books, um, I have uh, I am completely caught up with the novels, uh, which, uh, which which did make it you know it, it was a very it was a very strange mental dissonance uh, as uh, as this season was starting, um, and I was sort of having to you know re- re- rewind in my brain back to where the show was because uh, for 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 instance when uh, when uh, Bobby and Avasarala wind up on wind up on the Rossi you know and I'm like you know what, what do you mean there so they, you know they, they don't know these people oh right 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 no I'm <laughs> 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 they are they they are many years behind where I am in my head right now. <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, one, one thing I hadn't realized was uh, which it becomes obvious as to, especially as you get to 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 the the seventh book, um, which is the one I just finished. Um, is uh, you know the, as as the the novel series itself has expanded, but you know beyond their their original plans. When uh, certainly, you know they uh, you know the the two headed team that is James S A Corey, you know just wanted to try and sell a book, you know, and didn't didn't uh, necessarily you know obviously didn't think it was going to become this this huge phenomenon um but the the novel series is essentially now th- is three trilogies um you know so those first three books you know kind of for, you know form one story um and uh, of course was uh you know why why we were all anticipating that you know no the the, the most that uh, Siffy would do is the, is the first three books, and of course didn't even make it that far. Um, and uh, and then you know then the the middle three um, are a, a whole different story. And then what's frustrating now for me is having now read the what is the first book of the third trilogy, um, and uh, which actually take quite a bit of a time jump. Um, I won't spoil people on this, um, but uh, but also in- introduces stuff that was uh, back into the into uh, into our solar system that was seeded in the first in the particularly the second trilogy. Um, um, and uh, brings things to a, a, a pretty amazing head, um, and uh, especially as uh, you know, the, the, the you know the, with the time jump, this is definitely the, the crew of the Rossi um, in the, uh, the 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 latter part of their lives and careers, and uh, you know having to uh, pull out uh, one you know one 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 last heroic stand uh, for for Earth and the rest in the rest of our solar system. Which so uh, you know I'm now of course uh, you know it looks like they 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 are pretty much on track now to be releasing. Uh, kind of like the major Star Wars films, the next two books, uh, just in time for the, holi- ho- the holiday buying season in December of this year and next year. And I'm, I'm yes. really looking forward to it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, in, you know, so since I'm all caught up, I also have, I haven't, I've, I actually haven't read The Vital Abyss yet, but I have been uh, sort of slowly doling myself out the, uh, the, the, yeah, the short stories and novellas to, uh, to try and, uh, you know, f- f- feed my expanse fix between, uh, between, between episodes. Yeah, and the amazing thing is that if you listen to the uh, the churn, which is the official Expanse podcast, yes, uh, 
the uh, the two-headed, uh, as you said, uh, team of James Corey um, is on there every episode. Oh, okay. To get their insight into how they worked with the show to adapt their material and how and, and just like it's weird it's kind of like this like two like maybe one or two degrees of separation with the people that wrote that material so it's a lot of fun and um kind of got to listen to them celebrate the fact that they got renewed um <laughs> and the fact that if you i don't know if you're aware of this or not but they already have a contract for their next big epic that they are that they are conceiving for after the expanse novels are done so I, I, is, I did hear something about that. Yeah, yeah but not, this is wonderful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. uh, oh, and uh, there, there is one thing I will say, though. I mean, having, you know, having read all the, all the novels first and then now going back and filling in with, you know, even though technically some of these, these uh, short pieces, you know, do fall like in between certain of the books, um, I would actually recommend reading the novels first and then going back and using these just for fill in of, uh, of stuff that, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't cover in the novels. Um, and, and, and in particular, um, the churn itself. Um, which is the the story of Amos's childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that one you should definitely hold, even though technically it's before anything. You know, it's, it's way before anything anything that's happened in in the novel series. Um, there is there is a lot of that background which shows up in Abaddon's Ashes, and it is much better to have that sprung on you in the course of that book rather than going into it knowing all the, that all this happened. Ah, uh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm, I, I'm sure that with everything else that is going on in the Expanse novels, that that one little piece will uh, I'll, I'll be able to live with. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I mean, it, it, it's just part part of that novel is um, Amos, for reasons I will go into, be, you know, being stuck on Earth and having to revisit his past, and ah. so. You know, kind of. The whole point is that you know, no, you know, it's you know, it's getting sprung on the reader as you're going through it. You know, well, you know, there's been, you know, there certainly were hints of it in the in the novels, and that's actually an interesting thing with the the way they're doing stuff in in this season, where a lot of that stuff that was held for that second trilogy, you know, they have moved up into um, some of the interactions with Amos and the and the documentary crew um, in the uh, the the recent episodes. You know, that's one of the ways you know in which they're you know they're sort of fiddling with the way they did things in the books and the way they're doing things on the show. Yeah, I do know that the actor that plays uh, Amos can't wait for book five to be uh, to be uh, adapted. He's yes. crossing his fingers yeah. that they can get that far. So I have a feeling I know what you mean. Yeah. All right. Um, that having all been said, then, we are going to go ahead and move on to the episodic discussion that we promised way back at the beginning. And uh, Gary, I think that you were going to go ahead and uh, bid us good evening. Yeah, yeah. As I said, I was on vacation, so I still have a... Uh, I will try and resist the urge to keep binging fringe and uh, catch up on some of the more recent shows uh, until then guys uh, be well you too all right that having now been said i think that there are uh, let me just count the ways count the ways yes five shows five shows that yes. uh i've been holding off on talking about <laughs> until i could get you here edmund and uh, yeah, now we can actually get into them. So again, this is the portion where we're going to dig into a, a few of these shows a little bit more detail and uh, definitely want to pick your brain here. Um, so first of all, um, I guess we'll just get into one of these shows, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, which is usually on Wednesday nights. Since we usually start on Wednesday nights, we'll start there. And we had, uh, well, we've had most, I would say two thirds of the second season so far. And uh, I guess first of all, yeah. 
Yeah, but they well, yeah, but that was actually one thing that I, I hadn't realized that uh, they they are actually going thirteen episodes this oh, season. Okay. So okay. yeah, no, not not the yeah. I, I was getting confused with that about that as well. But yeah, but no, but they 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 did actually push out to thirteen. So yeah, so yes. uh, so we're yeah. covering kind of up to episode eight of the second yeah. season. So yeah, still roughly two thirds. Yeah. So your thoughts on the second season so far? Um, I, uh, I've been, enjo- I've been enjoying it. Uh, well, I mean, it's always a sort of re- relative term with this show, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still, Absolutely. it's still t- t- tense and horrifying and, uh, you know, in so many ways. Um, but, uh, but I think, I think it, uh, I, I was having a little bit of trouble, um, in some of the early episodes, um, taking, uh, the, the, the whole sequence of, um, of her escape, um, and then recapture and, uh, the way they're introducing some of the, the, the Canadian, um, elements, um, wound up feeling, uh, just, a, a, a um, some of it was a little clumsy and on the nose. Um, and some of it also just felt a, a little too drawn out. Like I didn't think we necessarily needed an entire episode in the Boston globe building. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that actually, that, that I think was the most on the nose element, you know, where, um, you know, I was, I was anticipating too much. It's like, yes, these, these are journalists. I think I know what Gilead did to them. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of taking that whole hour to, to get to that point. Um, and, and it was sort of a reinforced for me once, once she was recaptured and brought back into Gilead. And I just felt the show was, you know, the show does tend to be stronger when it's, you know, in that, you know, yes, horrifically oppressive setting. Um, but, uh, you know, but sort of getting back to, um, those, the, 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 the real roots of the original novel. Cause of course now they, you know, they're, they're in this point where, you know, yes, it's, you know, yes, there is the appendix, um, to the novel, uh, you know, with the history, you know, the historians a hundred years later. Um, but you know, now they really are kind of more on their own. Um, and I think since they, Got back to to Gilead and uh, and certainly sort of up up the ante with uh, the terrorist attack um, with Serena and Joan um, form you know forming their 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 little uh, their little renegade uh, law firm <laughs> for lack of a better word um, it uh, the the you know the the show the 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 show re- re- really picked up and felt mm-hmm. much more focused at that point um, and uh, and uh, it was. No, the, I, I, I did see in some quarters where people were there, were then you know complaining about you know oh no you know you know she you know she clicked the pen just like the detonator and then it's like you know then it all gets taken away from them so quickly and I was like yes that's the point that's Gilead it's you know of you know of of course the patriarchy is going to reassert itself you know and in some some very very nasty and physical ways um, but uh, it uh, I, I you know as I said in despite that uh, that sort of early bobble in in, ter- in terms of getting there getting their bearings uh, for this continuation um i have have been uh, have been much more positive about it in the last few episodes and uh and then yeah and, and certainly and part of what, why i was then looking up you know the fact that it's i was, I was like wait a minute is this only 10 episodes again you know you know how you know what, are, are they this doesn't feel like they're setting up for a finale and then it's like oh no that's because they're as, as we record i think four episodes left so hmm. yeah the funny thing about it is well, what a, what a way to put it. Um, when it comes to The Handmaid's Tale, there's really not that much funny about it at all. The I think that having the extra three episodes hurt their pacing. Um, ironically, it takes three episodes to get her back into the clutches of Gilead, which is mm-hmm. exactly where I think um, the, the second season really actually starts. Um, which the funny thing is, is that if they didn't have those extra three episodes, they, they t- needed those to kind of undo one little piece of the end of the first season um, in a certain way. Um, but it did seem like this really odd kind of like 
divergence that didn't need to happen. Uh, they could have very easily cut those three episodes out, and um, I think it would have been perfectly fine. Um, yeah, and 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 also, I mean, I I think you know it it didn't do um, her character, you know, you know the. Um, too many favors because of a part of the problem with the, with that whole, with the, the the escape scenarios was she seemed to be very clueless and oblivious at times yes. <laughs> and uh, you know and, and and certainly compared to some of her maneuverings uh, you know getting Serena's trust uh, you know you know en- enlisting uh, both Ruby and then um, and then the aunt um, you know to to protect her child if in fact Serena is, is, is you know does in fact follow through on sending her away you know directly after the birth. Um, it, uh, and, and, and it was, I think it was, it was particularly that, uh, that whole section when she, when she sort of, um, when she's on her, on her way to the plane and seems so cavalier with, uh, with, you know, with that couple she's placed with, you know, and just sort of, you know, that dashes off and, you know, without, you know, a, a thought or, you know, even, you know, ever mentioning, you know, so what happened to them? And, you know, and I was wondering, you know, okay, were they, were they captured? Were they, you know, are, you know, is, is he hanging from the wall right now? And, uh, you know, so, it, you know, it, uh, um, it, it felt like, you know, a lot of the strength, a lot of the character work that they had built up with her in the, in the first season, they were, they, they were, they were frittering away and, uh, you know, now, now luckily they, they, they are bringing it back. Yeah, I think that this show is at its strongest when it is showing the the uh, the intermittent alliances and conflicts between the women in this society as they all try to simply survive, and in some cases survive the very thing that they helped create, and it becomes this. I think Serena is this amazingly um, tragic character in the fact that you she is getting exactly what she deserved. And yet you still feel sympathetic for her very often. And as soon as you really start feeling sympathetic again, she does something horrible. <laughs> exactly. And, and yet it is so much a matter of, you know, they, they, there is this um, kind of like uh, discussion out there where it's like um, how there are women who support the patriarchy and think that they're getting somewhere, but they are actually just perpetuating their own misery. And that Serena is like the extreme example of this. Um, oh, absolutely. And it's kind of that's the drama that I actually like to see is how these women are trying to. Um, it's one of those situations where if they just would sit in a room and talk it out, they'd figure out how to stop this thing dead. Um, it's the fact that they all feel like they still have something to gain by working the system. And that's how the system maintains itself. And it is an interesting kind of uh, commentary just from that perspective. So I think that they've carried forward the, the spirit of Atwood's book now that they are well past the actual material that they've adapted and it's strongest when it stays in that space when it tries to go out and do those other things it falters um as it did when they had uh, june on her own and she suddenly started making really bad decisions just to make sure that the plot went where it was supposed to go yes exactly uh, all right, moving on then to another show on Wednesday nights, and one that we were just talking about a little while ago, The Expanse, which is a good two-thirds again through its uh, third season, the final season on sci-fi, but thankfully not the final season of the series. Yes. Um, these these episodes uh, recently have been the beginning of an adaptation, and I put that in slight air quotes because it is obviously an adaptation of the beginning of the third book, but also there are a lot of elements, as we said, that are being uh, kind of reconfigured and re- re- rethought in order to uh, work as the television adaptation, which has been the case since day one. But uh, th- yeah, the third season has been, as we all expected it would be, kind of the the second half or or, or so of the second book and just careening um, like a mad belter into a ring uh, into the third season. 
or, or the third book um, yeah. <laughs> adaptation. And uh, I feel like this, if you try to binge watch this season, you might need medical help <laughs> because <laughs> the anxiety that this, like the, the pacing and the intensity of the season has been spectacular. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll I'll be very interested to hear if, if we uh, you know as as they shift to Amazon if if, if anything you know and uh, if if anything will come out in terms of uh, you know yes you know maybe you know they they may have been making a presumption about uh, you know no we don't know how much more time we have so uh, you know we're you know we're not quite at uh, Babylon five you know season four let's cram the entire you know the, the entire story in just in case we don't get renewed um, but I, I think there may have been a bit of that going on um, and uh, but uh, but but certainly I mean if uh, you know, for for any of the books, I mean, book three was the one that uh, certainly, you know, had had some room to be tightened up. Um, you know, there are other things, you know, basically, you know, these major plot points which need to happen. Um, but uh, you know, there's you know, there was a lot of stuff uh, going on in terms of the relations uh, between the, the the various factions and within the factions uh, that was being fleshed out in the books that uh, you don't necessarily need to have in the TV adaptation. Um, and certainly, in, on uh, on the, the the Belter side, I mean, the way they've been eliminating some characters um, on the Behemoth and uh, you know, and uh, folding them into existing ones. Um, and then, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the casting on this show, um, you know, has been, uh, so good. I mean, except for, you know, there, there are the couple of quibbles, which I will get into, um, but, uh, on, on, you know, that, that I've had, uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I did one of those, you know, silent fist pumps in the air the moment Davis Drathairn oh, appeared. Yes. You know, and you know, I mean, he's one of my, my favorite actors of all time. And then, uh, you know, and of course, was uh, was was cruelly used by Siffy and Alphas. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, and then to have him open up his mouth and you know, and having you know, just you know, the, you know, yet another variant of Belter Patois getting um, hur- hur- hurled at us um, was uh, you know was was quite glorious. Um, and and I do love the fact that they that they are just let, you know the letting the Belters speak. You know, they're you know, they're, you know, in the, in their particular way, and not subtitling it. You know, you know, just the way it is in the book. You know, where it's like, you know, no, you know, you you can figure out what they're saying and what they mean. You know, you you know, you you don't need to know the exact. Um, and uh, you know, and it just keeps that 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 flavor and uh, and character of uh, you know this uh, you know other other you know off, offshoot of humanity. Um, you know, just uh, right, 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 um, right in your face, basically. Yeah, so you mentioned a couple of quibbles. Which were the, what were those? Evan? Uh, that would be, if if you were speaking, you just started cracking up on me. Oh, okay. I said you had a few quibbles. I think yes. maybe uh, I think maybe uh, the the UN was trying to keep me from speaking there. Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it meant you were on Siffy and they were censoring you, and you, 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 you need, need to, you need to be on the Amazon version where you can get all of the curse yep. words. <laughs> oh, believe me, that is the version I watch. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, what were those quibbles that you had in terms of the casting? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the main one was in, ter- in terms of the, the, the Rossi itself. Um, you know, I, I think, St- you know, Stephen Strait has, you know, has done a, a, a very good job as Holden. Um, but the big problem is he's too young. Um, Holden is supposed to be the, you know, the, the senior officer who, you know, happened to be on this mission away from the ship with, with a bunch of junior officers. Um, and, uh, you know, and the fact that they decided to go with, you know, sort of the, you know, the more conventional younger attractive leading man, um, is, is something that's, that's, that has all, all, always annoyed me. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I mean, it's, and, and, uh, and, and the irony is I also think that, uh, he's, he's actually, 
um, not quite charismatic enough for the you know this uh, you know the, you know this this uh, this guy who winds up um, you know uh, being this uh, sort of force of nature that none of the factions can control. Um, you know, so you know, so that, that's that you know that that was that's really been my my major one. Um, I think uh, I mean and Naomi and Alex are absolutely spot on. Um, and the other one who I had initially had trouble with was, um, was actually Amos, um, you know, where it wasn't so much an age thing, you know, but, you know, he's sort of too buff and pretty. And, the, you know, and in the books, you know, the descriptions of Amos is that's very strong, but sort of big roly poly teddy bear, um, you know, so, you know, deceptively, um, you know, badass. Um, however, um, <laughs> Especially as we're getting into this third season, and uh, you know, and they're bringing in more of the Amos back, you know, moving up more of the Amos backstory, and uh, and reading some of the behind the scenes stuff, um, you know, you know, West Chatham, um, you know, so loves this part, um, and uh, and the funny thing is, you know, even though I just said, you know, don't you know, don't read the Churn short story, you know, before Abaddon's Ashes, apparently, you know, that you know that that's part of his getting himself up for for work is you know he is he's constantly re rereading that story, you know, because it is Amos early days and backstory um you know so you know so you know even though yes i think you know physically he's wrong but in terms of performance he is you know he, he is absolutely nailing it so i i i have come around on that one <laughs> yeah i i get you where i get you when it comes to holden because actually the funny part is is that i had the hardest time remembering what he looked like on the show until i really started paying attention in the second season because there was such a disparity um mm. I still don't think that he has the kind of wide-eyed, um, almost too good to be true, uh, <laughs> attitude that Holden is supposed to have. I think though that they are kind of playing it up differently for the TV adaptation because the Holden in the books has more than enough time to grow. Um, yeah. on the show, you kind of need to have a little bit, something else to, to, to pull people in, but I think he's close enough to the, to the, uh, to the Holden that we know. Uh, and, and quite frankly, a lot of these shows, the central character, the quote unquote central character is m very often more uh, reflected in other people than he actually is his own character. So it's, it works for me. I, I think that the, uh, the casting has been remarkably good. And mm -hmm. I think that like, I'm amazed at how spot on Alex is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I literally read it in that guy's voice now. Mm -hmm. dialogue because it's right yeah. on the page so it's it's yes. amazing and 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 uh, i know i was focusing on you know on the on the, the main crew and then right. the other the other two that are absolutely dead on is of course of oh yes uh, you know where where again i mean that's you know where you know no i mean i, I i'm the same thing when i'm reading it i'm seeing her hearing her <laughs> it's you know, How you know not right? she is character um well, but yes is the uh, other one bobby <laughs> And the other one is Bobby, of yes, course. Yes, of course. <laughs> they, how they managed to cast literally the character from the book, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, because that was the other one where I mean, especially because of the way they went with Holden. You know, I was like, you know, you know, you know, please, please tell me they're going to cast Bobby correctly. You know, and not have you know just some slip of a girl. And it's like, no, good. <laughs> you know, it's you know someone who actually looks like a big beefy marine who, yes, is also you know very compelling and attractive too. <laughs> exactly, they managed to nail it. All right, we're going to go ahead then and move on to the next one here, which I, I'm sure a lot of people wanted to know your opinion on this, and that's The Americans as that series comes to its close. And I know yes. that you had some not-so-favorable thoughts about the beginning of the sixth season, but now that you've seen the entire yeah. sixth season and the series finale, what do you think, Edmund? Um, 
unfortunately for I mean for me I mean you know I I, I liked it um, you know I gave it uh, you know you know still high marks um, but they weren't but they they weren't uh, the marks I was I was expecting or hoping to give it and uh, and I guess I will I mean what I'll, I mean as opposed to you know I mean it's all done now you know I haven't been around for on the show for most of it I'm I'm really going to sort of more talk about my my you know the issues with with the season as a whole um, I mean it was some of that stuff from the beginning. Um, and, um, it's interesting. This is one of the shows where, um, you know, I usually stay away from sort of behind the scenes stuff. Um, you know, but I have been, uh, throughout the seasons last, well, the last three seasons when it was available, listening to the Americans podcast, uh, which was on, uh, the, uh, slate podcast roster, you know, where, you know, they had, uh, the two J's on regularly, um, you know, cast members, uh, as they could get them, you know, given their ridiculous schedules, they had, uh, shooting this thing. Um, and, uh, and, uh, sort of, uh, Similar to the Babylon podcast way back when, um, also uh, you know talked to a lot of the behind the scenes people, which was uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, but in terms of uh, some of the feedback that uh, I was get, that I was hearing from the Jays themselves, the two executive producers and creators, um, you know I, I, I you know I think there was you know this is, this is there was an element of where they were getting a little too simplistic in their structuring of the show. Um, you know, as they were coming towards the end and I kind of, this kind of me kind of stretches into the, the end of season five, the last, you know, the last run of season five and into season six, uh, where they kept talking about, Oh, you know, you know, no, we really want to sort of, you know, focus on the family. Um, and I think they wound up doing that to the detriment of the spy craft to on, to a certain extent. Mm. Um, but also didn't really, you know, didn't take advantage of, this amazingly rich and subtle and nuanced family situation that, 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 that they had set up. Um, and for, for this last season, doing the, doing the time jump three years ahead, um, Philip has been out of the game, trying to run the travel agency, discovering that uh, being a capitalist and uh, trying to expand your business is not as easy as uh, he might have thought. Um, and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, and also that, uh, you know, yes, running around being a spy and not really running a business, you know, might not, you know, might not have prepared him that well for doing this. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, and Elizabeth has been having to take on everything for three years and is getting, uh, you know, exhausted and burnt out. Um, and the fact that it's now it's 87 Gorbachev has been in power for a while and, uh, you know, and the attempts at uh, Glasnost and Perestroika, you know, th you know, things are starting to shift in the Soviet Union. And the fact that they, they opened up the season with having each of them recruited by these opposing sides um, was where I felt that, in, in, you know, it, it made the plotting way too simplistic. It was driving the two of them into these, uh, you know, into, into being completely at odds with each other and, and too silent. I mean, there was this, you know, there's this meme of uh, sad face Philip that, uh, you know, that had been mm. developed, you know, over the course of the series and, you know, and the number of times, you know, early on the season, you know, and it's just these extended periods of, of Philip just sitting there being, you know, you know, being perplexed and, uh, and, uh, grumpy and sad. And, and, and I, and I just really felt that they, they missed an opportunity to, you know, the, the, the I, I think the issue was more, you know, no, I mean, absolutely. You could have had Elizabeth hired by, you know, you know, brought into this cabal that wants to, um, overthrow Gorbachev. Um, but, uh, but, but it was the other half of, you know, why not have Philip having lived life more as a regular American these three years, seeing the, the changes that are going on, seeing, you know, and, you know, and starting to get intrigued by what Gorbachev is introducing and trying to bring it up with Elizabeth and realizing that there's, 
something going on and, you know, something she's not telling him and have Phil, you know, yes, Philip being a spy in his own house, trying to suss this out. And I think that could have been much more interesting rather than Arkady and Oleg, you know, just popping up and recruiting him and, um, no, you know, and it would, you know, and it, it you know, and so you would have had, you know, this real back and forth between the two of them, you know, in between the old, the, the you know, the old way of doing things that they were brought up with, you know, and this new way, which can feel like betrayal and, uh, you know, and going, you know, and giving into the Americans and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, could, you know, could have really explored, you know, both the dynamic between the two of them and the political changes that were going on at the time. And, uh, and, and, so, you know, the, the, you know, unfortunately that, you know, that wound up to me, uh, for me coloring a lot, a lot of what was going on. Um, and, uh, and even in terms of then the, you know, the, the, the way that, um, Oleg was, was introduced back into it. I mean, you know, and, you know, and, you know, in my head, I was like, well, wait a minute, what if, you know, no, it's not that Arkady directly recruits Oleg to reach out to Philip. What if it's Philip has, started realizing what's going on and he tries to reach back to Arkady and Arkady realizes, Oh, right. Oleg, you know, not that Oleg was sent over, you know, he was sent over specifically as a spy, but was sent, it was actually here to take this course in DC and, um, you know, about train management or whatever the heck it was, um, and gets drawn into it, drawn into it that way. Um, you know, so, I mean, this is sort of the classic thing of, you know, as, as, as much as I enjoyed what they were doing, it, uh, you know, I was having that thing of rewriting it in my head and thinking like, no, there, there's, there's another way you could be doing this. Mm. Um, and that's how I felt when it came to, um, particularly as we got into the, into the final stretch and it seemed like there was, um, this whole thing of, you know, Elizabeth and her exhaustion comes into play in Chicago and mm-hmm. then Philip, uh, isn't used to the game anymore. So he makes mistakes and this all prompts Stan to, to kind of finally start looking into things. The only thing that the way that it played out, unfortunately, it seemed to me like it made Stan almost look like a really bad agent because like there've been so many other more blatant like hints. And it's like, it took this situation to actually get him to like, for the pieces to fit. It seemed Mm -hmm. forced. Yes. As much as I enjoyed watching it. It seemed forced, and it also seemed drawn out, because it seemed to me that once that first domino went, he would have been all over it. And mm-hmm. it just, it, it really just kind of like, it just felt like they were dragging their heels and stretching it out because they had been given two seasons to wrap this up. So they they really could have all done the fifth and sixth season, in my opinion, in one season, and it would have been an amazing season. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and actually, that, that reminds me that, that that was the other thing I was thinking in terms of the, the dynamics that they, they could have been setting up um, to make the parking garage scene work better, um, which I, I will get to in a minute. Um, you know, but in terms of this whole thing, you know, Stan, Stan as well has been out of counterintelligence, you know, doing regular FBI stuff and, you know, and going after corrupt politicians. Um, and uh, you could have been setting up the way he, you know, he, him and he, him and Anderholt talking, you know, have, you know, having a drink and, you know, and, and Stan kind of similar to with what, what Philip could have been bringing up with Elizabeth talking about, you know, well, what about this guy Gorbachev? You know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe things are changing and, you know, and Anderholt being, you know, the, the, uh, you know, um, still the, uh, the, the, the hardcore, you know, no, they're the Soviets. We've got to, you know, we, we, we have to, uh, you know, they, you know, they're our enemy. We've, you know, we, we've got to go after them. Um, but, but using that, you know, as, you know, as a setup for, for that final confrontation, which they're obviously, you know, obviously, you know, they've been spending six seasons building to, 
Um, and and even though I think you know I, I you know I think it did almost work. Um, and you know, it's, you know it's a testament to you know especially Matthew Reese's you know extraordinary acting ability that you know he managed to pull off that that speech and and make it uh, you know you know reasonably plausible, um, but not completely so. Mm-hmm. You know you know and I think if they had been doing more stuff to set up you know, possible cracks and, you know, you know, and, and certainly in terms of the discussions that have gone on, you know, since, you know, since, you know, I mean, you know, no, no, there, there have been enough instances of, you know, Stan not playing by the rules, you know, certainly, you know, I'm just the whole affair with Nina in the first place. Um, and, uh, you know, in the way he protected Oleg, you know, where, you know, the, you know, there, there, there were things that they could have built on to, you know, make it, make it more believable that Stan, would value the the friend the friendship and also you know the way they were setting things up you know no this what this you know letting them go means that the you know the the intelligence does get back to Gorbachev you know and does help protect him and keep him in power um and uh you know so it it, it to, to to me it feels that you know the you know certainly you know coming going into seasons 5 and 6 you know i was thinking of this you know one of my favorite series of all time um and uh it still it still is up there but it's more like um, Mad Men or West Wing, where you know it just wasn't quite as good in its in its later seasons as it was early on. Um, you know, as you know, compare you know as opposed to a Babylon Five or a Breaking Bad. You know, where you know, yes, yeah, since I will defend season five to you know, Babylon Five to, to my mm-hmm. dying. Um, so you know, the, you know, because uh, just very briefly with you know, with Babylon Five, since I watched it without knowing about all the behind the scenes stuff. You know, you know, a, I mean, I got to the end of season four and thought, well, wait a minute, you know, the, uh, everything's done. What can they, what, what can they go to? And then for me, season five was, oh, you're doing what, what, what happens after happily ever after mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the way and the way everything can fall apart. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but with the Americans, it's still, you know, you know, a, a, an extraordinary series. Um, but one that I feel that in its, in, in its later seasons or certainly in its last season and a half or so, um, was, was really carried and buoyed up by this extraordinary cast they put together, um, who were taking stuff that, uh, that, 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 uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't quite as well thought out on the page as, uh, stuff from the early seasons and just, just really working it and acting the heck out of it. Um, and, uh, managing to, uh, inject it with, uh, with, uh, more, more meaning than, uh, than is necessarily on the page. Yeah, I think that that's a neat, that's a really good way to sum it up. Is that it was kind of a, a they they tried to pace it out, and they stretched it a little too far. Yeah, and some shows do that. Yeah, and, and and as I say, I mean to me, the, the but the irony is, you know, still but still having set up a situation that, you know, could, you know, you know. Could, could have had more complexity and more meaning, um, you know, but uh, but uh, they, they they wound up getting a, a little too simplistic with some of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. In the interests of time and the fact that it's almost impossible to speak about in the midst of of, of a season, um, we're going to, if it's okay with you, Edmund, I'm going. Yes. To, we'll wait until you can come back to do Westworld because uh, I have a feeling uh, that. Well, well, yeah, especially since as we speak, uh, we haven't seen the finale yet. So. That's right, exactly. And there's been it's going to depend on that. Yes, exactly. This second season has been chock full of surprises, and we don't want to uh, we don't want to speak about it without it being uh, of a piece. Yes, um, 
I will just quick quickly mention yes. though that's another one where where I have now taken to watching the uh, the behind the scenes featurettes on uh, on HBO Go, um, and uh, it, it it was no surprise to me when uh, Jonathan Nolan mentioned that he grew up watching Sergio Leone movies and Kurosawa mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> Amazing you know, that, how that fits in the second season, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, you know, and uh, and especially since I was too, and I was like, yes, I think I kind of noticed that, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's just wrap this one up with some thoughts on the second season of Legion, which is now wrapped up, and it seems like you are up to date as am I. Yes, indeed. Um, and I think it's really interesting that um, when a second season can tack on a an episode at the very end of the season. And it almost feels like you don't notice that they did that because that's just how kind of trippy the show is. Um, yes. Not only that, but a really amazing musical montage at the end of the season finale or at the beginning of the season finale behind blue eyes. Yes. Done. Yeah. Um, as, as a huge who fan who also happens yeah. to have blue eyes. Um, yeah, that was <laughs> pretty amazing. It, it, yeah. That, that literally the first five minutes of that episode could have pretty much been uh, all that they showed. And I would have been like, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so here we have a second season of a show that is ostensibly about a hero that actually turns out to, at least up to this point, be about the villain, um, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, but what did you think of the second season as a whole as compared to the first? Um, yeah, well, so, well, I mean, the, 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 the knee-jerk response is uh, st- style over substance, um, since that there was that sense, uh, certainly early on, the first few episodes of, uh, yes, really crazy stuff is being thrown at the screen, and I'm not sure I necessarily follow it, but, uh, uh, but uh, I'm more than happy to go along for this ride. Um, and then, but then they, they, they did start. Try, at least trying to do more more backstory and get get more of a you know at least some some sort of plot and uh, and goals that uh, they were they were heading towards or trying to head off, um, but uh, but in a in a in a way I think you know and, and certainly you know as they were coming to this this whole you know, the, the, you know the ongoing discussion of who's the hero who's the villain or are they perhaps both villains. Um, it uh, you know it 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 wound up uh, feeling like you know first I mean a very brave thing to do but uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see especially given some some of the reactions out of the finale um, if they they maybe went too far in having a show that uh, that, that yes is is visually stunning but doesn't really le- you know doesn't leave you a lot of hooks to uh, really identify with characters and uh, even the ones who you know you know more about uh, aren't really that sympathetic um, and uh, while uh, I I. I am certainly still on board it uh, um, and uh, and certainly it uh, no if it, it, it's one of those where um, I think you know go, go, going back on a rewatch uh, isn't necessarily going to uh, fill in all the details. It's still so out there. Um, but certainly it uh, it to, to me it's it, it is a, a huge up in the air question um, what was really happening at the end there um, and mm-hmm. the fact the fact that Farouk is completely uh, out of uh, out of his cell in his suit, uh, and uh, you know it, uh, the 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 interpretation that uh, he has deluded everyone else because uh, John Hamm has been telling us about delusion and uh, various various part of na- natures of it uh, throughout the season. Um, that uh, that uh, yeah, we maybe you know the, the audience and everyone uh, in that uh, in that kangaroo court uh, are supposed to think that David is the villain, um, but it's. Still up in the air to me. Um, who is fooling who? <laughs> yeah. Um, Just to throw in the other who reference. <laughs> of course. I knew, I, I, you had to. Um, 
I think that the thing for me is that the second season started off, I would say that the first two-thirds of the season were relatively easy to follow. I say relatively easy to follow by Legion standards. I kind of know what was going on. As soon as they had kind of the reveal about who was kind of feeding the delusions, mm-hmm. everything fell apart for me. Um, and not, no, I shouldn't say everything. It felt like the narratives just started to go all over the map. Um, which in this show is either really fun to watch or frustrating because there were a couple episodes after that big reveal of the monk and everything else that was going on that I felt like, wait, how does this pertain to what we just saw? What's the plot? Where is this going? And it seemed like there were at least two episodes there where they just kind of went off on a tangent and then came back for the last couple episodes. And I still didn't get the sense that they really kind of like the record player skipped and I don't think it fell on the same song. <laughs> so it like, there's this weird like shift in there. And I feel like some of the problem is, is that this is the kind of show where I think we even said this at the end of the first season, less is sometimes more. And I feel like having more episodes this season actually took away from this show. I think it did better when there were like six to eight episodes and there was just enough to tell that you could have told the same story in that time period. It would have been a lot tighter and they wouldn't have needed to go off on tangents in order to fill the time because there were a couple episodes there where I was like, what are you even doing? Yeah. Like the one that was literally nothing but a drug haze for the entire episode. Right. Yes. Yes. Literally. I still don't know what the point of that was. So it, 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 it's funny that you mentioned Mad Men before because it felt like one of those episodes of Mad Men where you watch it and you go, why did we need this? <laughs> And it was the same kind of thing. So it's, to me, Legion, it, it definitely ended on a really high note. Like I said, the beginning of that final episode was just, I think that that was um, some amazing stuff right there. And I want to see these guys make music videos for the rest of my life. But I think that um, there were times when they were doing weirdness for weirdness sake that didn't work. Yeah. And um, maybe for the third season, they need to kind of like just watch that tendency because yes, they did have that mandate. It's like the first season did well enough where it was like, cool, we get to go even further, but I want this to actually feel like it had a point to it. (laughs) And I was with them through most of the second season. And then they started doing those couple episodes. And I said, I'm not as, I'm not as uh, sure and confident that they are aware of where they're going here as I was just a few weeks ago. And that's a pretty dangerous thing with a show like this. Yes. Anything yeah, I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I mean, I think there are there are uh, a couple of factors. I mean, you know, where I mean, many people, you know, were commenting throughout the season of, you know, yes, you know, that, that you know, them doubling down on the weirdness, um, you know, and there's the question of how many people did they potentially lose just, uh, just from that. Um, and the, 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 the other element of the finale, which I think we should, should bring up, um, is the, uh, you know, of course, you know, there, there are some people who are, who are, Really keying in on the 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 non consensual sex with Sid, mm-hmm. um, you know that was part you know that was part of that that uh, that, that lead up, lead up to the ending, um, and uh, you know and whether um, you know, that was in the in the, in our, our current Me Too moment uh, an, an unfortunate coincidence of you know okay we want to make our, our hero really villainous and uh, you know I know there are some people who uh, have basically written the show off because of that. Um, which uh, I think uh, can, you know, is um, not to discount the issues, you know, but, uh, you know, as I said, given, 
given what was being set up in that in that in that final sequence, um, it, uh, it's not I, you know I, I I I will not excuse his actions, um, but uh, there there was a, a lot of manipulation going on in uh, all sorts of uh, in all from all sorts of directions. So. Uh, uh, you know, again, what uh, what we saw may have been horrific, um, but uh, they may have been intending to, ex- you know, not necessarily completely explain it away, but uh, put it put a uh, a different spin on it. Um, and we will have to see if, between all those those various factors, uh, how, uh, how how many people actually do come back for the third season. Well, considering that there was only a fairly small amount of people that came for the first two seasons, it may not be all that noticeable. Well, yeah, uh, but- which it's it's because mainly this is a show that many people see. Um, streaming or not live. Um, I think that that is a big factor in its renewal, that and it is something that is not really seen anywhere else. I completely get your point. It is a, an extremely dangerous type of thing to have as a plot point on the best of days, not in the middle of a semi-revolutionary social movement. Yes. Um, so it's they are going to have to be exceedingly deft and, and careful in how they land this at the beginning of the third season for it to not fall apart in their face. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, you literally just stepped on that landmine on purpose. Yes. And you're going to have to like go really far to explain why you should have the person who stepped on that landmine land on their two feet intact. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Uh, that said, I, I think that it was at least um, that perhaps that one plot point uh, aside, it was a solid season. It was not perhaps as tight as the first season, um, but I'm not too surprised by that because it's hard to replicate that kind of thing. And it was such a, sh- you know, like swing for the fences type of avant-garde out there thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to follow that up. And I think yeah. that they, they stumbled in some very predictable ways and then some not so predictable, but perhaps should have been predicted ways. Um, yes. Yeah, and uh, and actually, I just read just one thing I want to you know, and, and you know, and in the cor- in the course of that, I mean, in the er- that early part of that season, you know, there there were those episodes, you know, like the multi realities of of David that uh, that I thought were, were were absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, there's definitely some material in there that is more than worth the time. All right, so that I think is going to be it for this particular episode. Uh, wow, we packed a lot into this. Uh, what is going to turn out to be a little more than an hour. So I hope yes. you all enjoyed it. Edmund, thank you for coming and joining us this evening. Oh, my pleasure. No, as, uh, especially for the Americans in the Expanse, I, uh, I, I knew I had to get back. That's right, and we're going to have to get you back again when the third season of The Expanse ends and also the second season of Westworld. So Absolutely, yes. Excellent. All right, so we will be back in uh, a couple weeks, perhaps, with another episode. Uh, so until then. And so ends another epic episode of The Critical Myth. If you want to leave a comment for this show, head over to vognetwork.com. Not only can you find links to the podcast version of each show, but there is a dedicated forum, a ton of written reviews, and related articles by the crew throughout the site. For the written reviews, you can even leave your own review. So let us know if you agree or not. You can also leave comments on our Facebook page, Critical Myth, on Twitter at Critical Myth, or Google Plus under The Critical Myth Show. Any and all use of copyrighted material is only intended for discussion, commentary, parody, or educational purposes, in accordance with U.S. Code Title 17, also known as fair use. In other words, please don't sue us. And of course, the statements and opinions of the Critical Myth crew are not necessarily those of the VOG network, its partners, or affiliates. But let's face it, 
We're probably right anyway. Until next time. Watch, watch, read, read, and listen, and listen, and believe, and believe in the critical, in the critical myth.